Amen. God bless you. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. It is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. What are you going to do about it? Well, you may as well join the rest of the gang up in heaven. We're going to rejoice in it and be glad in it. Amen. This morning, I want to uh, talk to you about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, talking about the rapture of the church. And you may say, well, Brother John, I've never heard of the rapture. Uh, I don't think it's a, even in the Bible. People used to tell me that. You would come up to me, well, Brother John, Pastor John, the word rapture is not even in, in the Bible. So why would you talk about it? So back then I would give them, uh, give them this standard answer. Well, the word Trinity you don't find in the Bible either, but yet you can see the concept. But how many of you know it's good to study the Bible every once in a while? <laughs> and then you find out it's literally there. Amen. And so we want to talk to you this morning uh, about that very thing. I was hoping it'd be up on the screen already. Here we go. It's called, this is also uh, a, a, a chapter in a, in a book that I'm writing. It's taken me years. You know, it should have been done a long time ago, but every time there is something new that comes up. So I want to uh, add as much uh, to it as possible. It is called the, the revelation of end times. And I believe we're living in the end times. We've been in the end times really since the day of Pentecost, right? Uh, you could say it that way. But we're living in the last of the last days. And I believe it'd be very helpful for us to know something about it because uh, knowledge is power. Amen. And when you know something that God has said, it will remove all fear. Amen. And so that's, these are some of the things that I'd like to accomplish uh, with this teaching. It's chapter 3 in the book so far. It could shift. <laughs> but for now, it would be one of the chapters at least. And so what this teaching will accomplish really is it will, number one, remove all fear. Fear of the future. And I would submit to you that if you would turn on the television right now, or if you would go on one of the news sites on your internet, I would dare to say that you will hear a message of fear. Right? So many cases of this, and climate change, and you, you hear a whole host of things that does not really bring hope to you. As a matter of fact, it, it'll do the opposite. It's going to bring fear and doubt to you. So I believe that's the reason why it's so important that you hear what God has to say. Amen. And when you really get a good grip and a good uh, vision, a picture of what is to come, it would remove all fear of the future. As a matter of fact, you're looking forward to it. Amen. Because the end time, how many of you know, is not about the Antichrist. Right? It's not about 666. It's not about the mark of the beast. They're there, but it's always about Jesus. Isn't that right? So it'll remove every fear of the future. And number two, I want to, with this message, I want to prove to you that, yes, indeed, the rapture is in the Bible, and it is a separate event, a distinct event from the second coming. And so once you understand that, it, it's going to make a lot more sense to you. And number three, it'd be good for us to accurately define the rapture of, of the church. I believe that will really help you as well. So... Moving on, it will, it will help us to start out by knowing this, if I can get this across to you, that every person here has the ability, the right, and the privilege to understand prophecy. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember thinking, I don't, I don't want to know about that stuff. I don't want to know about end times, you know, when the first busloads goes to heaven, I'm just coming along, <laughs> right? That's kind of my attitude. And, uh, you know, see, I, I just didn't want to know because I, I didn't think I was able to understand it. But if you get, a, once again, a good grip, a good picture of what the Bible's got to say about it, then it will make sense. It'll make a lot of sense to you. All right. So one of the scriptures, of course, that we have to use in every area, not only in 
prophecy, not only in the subject of faith or the subject of healing or any other prophecy or any other topic is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 where it tells us to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, everybody say rightly dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that would mean this, if the word is to be rightly divided, that would mean there's got to be some distinct dividing lines, some divine dividing lines within the scripture. Does that make sense? And let me give you a few quick examples here. How would you agree with me that the cross at Calvary would be a major dividing line? Everything before the cross would give you a different picture than everything after the cross. Amen. How I many you know we live after the cross? <laughs> so if the word can be rightly divided, it could be wrongly divided. So that's why we have to be conscientious of some of these dividing lines. I'll give you a quick example before the cross paints a different picture than after the cross. We are supposed to be New Testament believers. Can you say amen to that? New Testament believers, yet there are many, many New Testament believers who still operate with a Old Testament mentality. They still want to operate un under the law. There are entire church groups out there that are operating under the Old Testament law. And our job is to move over into the New Testament where you and I have become new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen. And when you learn to operate that way, it's a whole different ballgame, praise God. So uh, that would be a major dividing line. John chapter 10 and verse 10 would also be a major dividing line. The thief does not come but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Would you agree with me that's talking about the devil? Amen. That's the thief. That's not God. And then in contrast, Jesus said, but... I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. So that's a contrast. So everything that's got to do with killing, stealing, destroying is of the devil and belongs. It is part of the kingdom of darkness. Everything that's got to do with life and that more abundantly has got to do with God and his kingdom. Amen. So they don't cross, do they? But yet, you hear a lot of people say, well, I sure wonder what, why God allowed this to happen. I sure wonder why God allowed this person to be killed. Or why God visited us last night and, you know, we had a break-in. <laughs> so you hear, you, hear, you hear all these really funny comments and we attach God to it and he's got nothing to do with it. So we got to be conscientious in our talking when it comes to the Bible, everything that's got to do with life and that more abundantly has got to do with God and the kingdom of God. Amen. If it's not, if it's killing, stealing, destroying, that's the devil. So you want to put yourself at war, so to speak, with everything that's got to do with killing, destroying and stealing. Amen. Because the devil is not your friend. Amen. Death is not your friend. It's not a part of life like you often hear. It's not. It's not a part of life. It's death is a part of the kingdom of darkness. And you and I have moved out of that kingdom and we have moved into the kingdom of God's dear son. Amen. Then, and this got to do with end time. I could give you a whole lot more uh, dividing lines, but for time's sake, let me just give you the one that we want to focus in on found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. Don't give offense neither to the Jew. And many of you know already where I'm going with this. <laughs> neither to the Jew, that's the nation of Israel. Nor to the Gentiles, that's the rest of the nations. Nor to the church of God. So obviously God recognizes and has dealings with three groups of people. He's got dealings with the nation of Israel, with the Jews. Do you know that his plan for Israel is not finished at all? 
He still has dealings with them. Then he's got dealings with the rest of the nations as well. And then he's got dealings with the church. Well, if you are a believer, if you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then you are part of the church. Amen. You may have been in one of the nations, and you still are. You're still Canadian, I imagine, <laughs> right? Or whatever nation you are in at this moment. That's still, that is still true, but you are supposed to identify yourself now with being a believer, being a part of the church of God. Does that make sense to you? All right. So you've been taken out of the nation. If you were a Jew and you are born again, you've been taken out of that nation and you have now become a fulfilled Jew. That's what they call them, a messianic Jew, a fulfilled Jew. If you were of a part of any of the nations and you become a believer, you've been taken out of that particular nation and now you are part of a holy nation. Amen. That's, that's just how the whole thing works. So we have to be very conscious of these dividing lines for us to be able to understand any topic, but particularly end-time events. Does that make sense to you? You don't fit in Matthew chapter 24 because Matthew chapter 24 was written specifically for the nation of Israel. It's an end-time prophecy, Jesus prophesying to them what is going to help to happen, helping them to steer clear away from the Antichrist. Now, you can get something out of that. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things you can get out of it. But just to let you know this, that everything in the Bible is for you, but not everything in the Bible is about you. And I know that's hard to take for some of you, but it's not. There's some specific things written to the nations Right, Daniel chapter, I believe it's chapter 2, is actually not even written in, in Hebrew. It's written in the Aramaic, in the Babylonian language, where King Nebuchadnezzar has a message to the kings of the nations. Amen. So that's specifically for the nations. Then he's got, of course, the rest of the uh, Old Testament is for the nation of Israel. But you can guess it's for you, but it's not about you. So if you want to know something about your specific end time, you're going to have to go to the epistles. And the epistles are not the apostles' wives. <laughs> they are letters written to the church. And when you find out what Paul has to say about end times, oh, I tell you what, it is a glorious thing. And how many of you know that makes sense, right? Because in the church, we're not going to get weaker and weaker, and the Antichrist is going to take over. Uh-uh-uh. That is not true. That is not a true picture. The first thing that Jesus had to say about his church was, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Amen. You know what that means? We're stronger than the devil and his agenda. Amen. You know what that means? We're stronger than the globalist agenda. That's exactly what that means. Amen. <laughs> so don't worry. Don't fear. I mean, they'll come at you with everything they got. But when it's all said and done, we who are believers, we who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to overcome every obstacle and every weapon that is formed against us. They shall not prosper. They will not prosper. So it should take all fear away from the future. Amen. As a matter of fact, you're looking forward to it. Amen. You're looking forward to it. So that's why I believe it's very good, very important for us to become uh, knowledgeable about it. End time prophecy is like a puzzle with every scripture fitting in its proper place. And I'd like to give you a simple example with that. When my daughter Chloe, she just had a birthday last Friday. She's 27. But when she was uh, four or five years of age, I bought a puzzle for her. It, on the box, it said ages three and over. So I thought, well, you know, we should be in good place. We should be able to get this done. So we got the puzzle. I helped her. That meant I did it for her. <laughs> right? And she just watched me do it. And then we got to the end of the puzzle. was one piece left. 
And so it didn't quite fit, so I automatically thought, well, the, the manufacturer probably did something wrong. So I used my fist <laughs> to hammer it in, and I made it fit. But then I looked at the box and at the creation that I just made. That's why you have a box, right? You can tell what you did wrong. I did something wrong because it was close but not accurate. Amen. So I had to make some changes and I put the right pieces in the right place. And now we had the right picture. Well, that's true for scripture as well. Amen. If you put the right picture, the right scripture in the right place, then you will get the right picture. But if you use, so to speak, your, your hammer and you make it fit, you're going to get a picture, but it may not be the right one. It may not be the right one. So I believe that's the reason for us to become knowledgeable about these things. So I'm going to give you quick seven facts uh, about the rapture. We're not able to get them all done, obviously. But uh, I'm just going to give them to you so you can perhaps study them for your own self in your own time. Number one, the rapture, it's in the Bible. We're going to talk about it in a moment. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Number two, the rapture is the last segment of a sequence of events at the resurrection of the church. So the rapture is not just something that stands on its own. It's not just something we fly out of here at any moment. No, no, no. It is connected to the resurrection. It's impossible to have a rapture without having the resurrection of the church, first of all. Now, would you agree with me that the resurrection would be the, the, probably the most important and the most central part of our Christian doctrine? Would you agree that everything is based on, of course, it begins with the resurrection of Jesus, but if you look at it, then the resurrection of Jesus really is the, the template of what's going to happen to us when the church gets res, res, uh, resurrected. And then just like Jesus moved to heaven, we're going to move to heaven after a period of time as well. So that's something to look forward to. Amen. Many people have, have, the, have the wrong idea based on movies and on pictures, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of, you know, when the rapture takes place, you know, you see planes flying into buildings because the pilot happened to be, a, you know, happened to be a Christian. He gets raptured and now there's no pilot left and he flies into a building. You see cars crashing because some of the people who were driving the car were Christians and they now fly out of that car into, into heaven. Chaos. Right? It sounds more to me like 9-11 than it does one of the things that God would do because God is a God of order. He's not going to kill people over, over this. No, I mean, he's the God of life. Isn't that right? We just mentioned that already. So when you talk about the rapture, it's the last segment of a sequence of events. It began 2,000 years ago with the, uh, with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, but that's not the end. Because you remember that just at the same time, at the same time when Jesus was raised from the dead, many other saints were raised from the dead as well. Do you remember that? And they went into Jerusalem and they appeared unto many. I just wish that the Bible would give us some more details. What happened? What did people say? What did they think? You know, we buried old Joe last week, and now he's back. You know, <laughs> what happened? You know, uh, two thousand or you know, two hundred years ago, this prophet was buried, and he's back. I don't know about you, but I think that must have created quite a stir. So, don't you think that this rapture, when people get first of all they get uh, resurrected, and we which are alive and remain, we get changed and then get raptured? Don't you think that's gonna create a stir it's going to be the greatest witness that the church will ever leave amen anyway i'm getting ahead of myself <laughs> number three the rapture is distinctively different is a distinctively different event from the second coming and i believe that's very helpful for for you to know because so many people they just mix them up they just think that jesus comes 
all at one time and they try to make it all fit that way. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. He is going to come for the church in a separate event than when he is going to come for the nation of Israel. All right? Number four, the rapture is a part of our salvation. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 will tell you, uh, you know, talks about a, a future salvation which we have. The same thing for Romans uh, chapter, what is it, chapter 8 as well. It talks about the hope of our salvation. It used to kind of bug me, right? Because now we know Romans 13, 11 tells us that now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. What are we talking about? I thought I was already saved. You know, the, the preacher told me I'm now born again. I'm saved. What happened? I'm saved from my past. Well, how many of you know salvation is a big word? It's an all-inclusive word. And some of you know exactly what all-inclusive means. <laughs> right? So when we're talking about an all-inclusive salvation, yes, it, number one, it does mean the forgiveness of sin. It also means the healing of your body. But it would also include the restoration of your soul. Amen? The renewing of your mind, not the removing, but the renewing <laughs> of your mind, amen. But it keeps going into the future as well so that just like your spirit is saved and your soul is in the process of being saved, God thought so much of you that he wants your body to be saved, to be just like your spirit is saved. Your body is going to be saved, amen. And how is it going to be saved? Well, it's going to experience, if you are, if you've died in Christ, you are going to experience a re resurrection. That's not for you. That's for the people who are in heaven. But if you are alive at the time, you're going to be changed in the same way that the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected and will have now uh, an immortal body. You too are going to have to be changed so that you can take on immortality for your own self. What's the purpose for that? So you can live forever and ever and ever? Well, sure, that's true. But there's even a higher purpose because you cannot become glorified until you become resurrected first, just like Jesus. Amen. So you're going to be a glorious person. Amen. That's why you're saved. You're not just saved from your past. You got glory to God. You are saved to a glorious future. Amen. Anyway, that's another story, but very important. Number five, we must qualify for the rapture. And the qualification really means, I don't have time to get into that too much, but you're going to have to change, <laughs> right? And change is not done by you trying to get changed. It's done when you see the Lord coming, right? It's done... By faith, praise the Lord. Uh, number six, we are an active participant in the rapture. Number seven, oh, this is always a dangerous one. Everybody will write me off right away. But we will know the day and the hour. Oh, Brother John, now you're teaching false doctrine. Because Jesus himself said, no man knows the day nor the hour. But that's why you have to rightly divide the word of truth. Because when Jesus talks about no one knows the, knows the day nor the hour, he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second, his second coming. So those are two separate events. Amen. So we don't have time to get into that, but, you know, it's just kind of a taste. So maybe they'll invite me back sometime to talk about that. <laughs> Enough to... Uh, all right, so let's talk about the rapture. It's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Everybody say caught up together. That's the word that we're looking for. That's the word that we're looking at. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then we... Point at yourself, we means me, right? We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together 
with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this word caught up to, together comes from the Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not trying to impress you, but I have a strong concordance on my laptop. <laughs> and on every device, I, all I do is press a little number, and the Greek pops up and makes me look like a genius when I just <laughs> quote what it says. <laughs> it comes from the Greek word harpazo, which literally means to seize. It means to catch away, to catch up. It means to pluck, pull, or take by force. It's been translated, you know, uh, it translated from the Greek into the Latin, you know, where you get the Vulgate Bible. That's where it got translated into the Latin, rapimur, and that's where we get the word rapture from. It's like a rapture, like when a raptor comes and takes its prey by force. So that's what's going to happen. Now, it's not like Jesus is going to rapture you and he's going to just, you know, bite you. And No, no, it, this, is a, this is a positive thing. All right. So let's talk about it. Philip, Philip he had a rapture-like experience in Acts chapter uh, 8 and verse 39 through 40. Maybe you can go there with me. Philip had a rapture-like experience. It tells us, and when they were come up, that's the Ethiopian eunuch, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away. See the same word? It's the same word. Philip was caught away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But notice what happened to Philip. But Philip was found at Azotus. He was found there. He was, one moment he was baptizing Someone, he was baptizing someone, and then without anybody realizing, without the Ethiopian eunuch really knowing exactly what took place, he just, Moses, <laughs> Philip was somewhere else in a different place. He was found there. You know, I'm sure that he must have thought, okay, well, one moment I was over here, and now I'm, I find myself in Azotus. Whoa. That must have been a trip. <laughs> Don't you think that must have been that must have been quite something? And so he thought, well, let me pass on. So he threw, he passing through, he preached in all the cities and he came to, to Caesarea. But can you see there was a force, an invisible force that moved him from one location to another location? All right, moving on to the next. Paul, he also had a rapture-like experience, or maybe he was actually raptured, where he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 2 through 4, maybe you can bring me there. He says, I knew a man in Christ, and most theologians agree that he's talking about himself here. Over 14 years ago, whether in the body, I can't tell, or whether out of the body, I can't tell, God knows. Such a one, now notice this, caught up to the third heaven. Paul had a rapture-like experience that he was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, he goes on to say, whether in the body or out of the body. Why is that such a big deal? In the body or out of the body? Who cares? I'm in heaven. But you know what? If it was in the body, it was a rapture. Right? If it was outside of the body, it would not be the same as a, as a rapture. But, you, you know, he, he, he doesn't know it was in the body or outside of the body. But he, something did happen to him that he had at least a rapture-like experience. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I can tell God knows. How that he was caught up again, caught up into the third heaven, caught up into paradise. That's interesting, isn't it? He's here one moment, and next moment he's up in heaven where he heard some amazing things from heaven above. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's pretty awesome. All right, let me give you another one. There's a gentleman by the name of Norman Williams. I, I had a picture with that, but uh, the picture did not make it in, in the translation. <laughs> didn't make it. But there's a gentleman by the, by the name of Norman Williams that Ingrid and I met one time. He spoke in Red Deer at the Full Gospel Businessman. He had an amazing testimony. I became very interested 
uh, in that story because it happened, uh, you know, when my uncle, he was supposed to be on that same flight, and he didn't make it, thank God. He did not make it on that flight. But there's a gentleman by the name of Norman Williams back in 1977. Uh, he, he went, he was, he, he was uh, supposed to go to the nation of Spain, but they had a bomb threat in Spain. And so they moved all the air traffic over to a, to a little island called the Canary Islands, and the capital city is called Tenerife, and it, this happened uh, at the Tenerife airport. And so he, he tells the story how that they, you know, he was in a Pan Am uh, air, aircraft, and they were just taxiing down the, down the runway, and all of a sudden this other plane, a KLM plane, went right over top of them and hit them because he didn't see them because it was foggy. So what happened was that this plane went straight into the middle of the Pan Am air aircraft. Norman Williams said, I had two other friends with me. They were sitting in front of me a few rows, uh, just a few rows ahead of me. They were gone just like that because of the heat of the flame. But it didn't happen to him. He stood up, he said, and I went into the aisle and I started moving my hands and I said, in Jesus' name. And all the shrapnel that was coming towards him, he was able to wave them away, wave them off as he was moving his hands in Jesus' name. Then he said, I just happened to look up and there was a hole in the top of the, air, of the airplane. And he said, as I looked up, he said, I went up and I wound up with the supernatural force. He calls it his mini rapture. He went on top of the plane and he walked over top of the plane. He walked over to the wing that was not on fire. He jumped off of the wing of the plane. Then he jumped from the wing onto the ground. That's where he broke his ankle. <laughs> but he made it, right? And he made it. And so they picked him up and they brought him to the hospital to help him with his ankle. He slept uh, overnight in the hospital. The next day, you know, he found in his pillow all kinds of metal shrapnel that had been lodged in his hair. But not one of his hair burned off, right? He did not have the smell of smoke on him whatsoever. He was saved via a mini rapture. He was caught up. He said, I experienced a, a mini rapture. That's quite something, isn't it? So he lived to tell him. He gives God all the glory for it, and he credits his praying mom. Oh, nice to have a praying mom. Amen. All right, so uh, let me just read it to you. In April 1977 at the Tenerife Airport, Canary Islands, Norman Williams escaped the deadliest airport disaster in, a in aviation history via a mini rapture. 583 people were killed when two Boeing 747s collided. He wrote about it in his book, Ten T uh, Terror in Tenerife. All right, next there's a few other people that had a rapture-like experience as well. Brother Hagen had a rapture-like experience while, while, while uh, conducting a revival in Rockwell, Texas in September of 1950. And he'll tell you all the story, the whole dates, everything that happened to it. And he, as he was speaking in other tongues, uh, he heard a voice telling him, come up to the throne of God. And he went to a beautiful city with Jesus. Praise the Lord. So... What I'm trying to say with this, there have been people who have had already a rapture-like experience. It should not be foreign to us. As a matter of fact, I believe some people might even travel in these last days that way. If you can't travel by plane, you can move in a different way. You can go to some of the countries the Lord's way. Yeah. Amen. I'm looking forward to that, too, as a matter of fact. All right, next slide. Others who have had a rapture-like experience as well are Enoch. The Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God and God took him. And God took him. But it didn't just happen by itself. Uh, it didn't just happen, right? It was not just a sovereign move of God. Because if you read the New Testament side of things, then you'll say that by faith Enoch was translated so that he didn't see death. So when it says by faith, that means he had something to do with it. And that means that you and I will have something to do with our translation and our rapture as well. It's not just going to be some type of a sovereign move of God. We're heavily involved in all of this. But I believe that after, you know, after, God, after Enoch began to walk 
with the Lord that he got one day, he got you so close to, to the Lord that the Lord said to him, you know what, Enoch, you're closer to my house than, than your house. Why don't you just come on over? And he just skipped into eternity, spirit, soul, and body. He just missed it. He just missed death. You know, people talk about, well, there's nothing as certain as death and taxes. Well, I can't vouch for taxes, but death in these last days is getting pretty iffy. <laughs> Amen. All right. There's another few people. Elijah was caught up in a, in a whirlwind. You can find that in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11. The apostle John, he saw a door in heaven open. He heard a voice come up here, and he was moved up there as well. The two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 12, when, while their enemies beheld them, they were taken up to heaven. They were they were raptured to heaven. The man-child of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5, he was taken up. He was caught up, the same word as we just saw for the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. They, were, they all were caught up. They were caught up into heaven, meaning this, a, an unseen, invisible force removed them from the place that they were to a different location. So there have been people who have been transported by an unseen force through time, space, and dimensions through various, to various locations. So it should not be strange or foreign to us that there is a rapture. Is that right? Does it make sense to you? All right. Then let's move on to the next one. The rapture is the last segment in a sequence of events during the resurrection process and if you would go through we'll, we'll get into it in just a moment but uh, let me just say this that for in first corinthians chapter 15 verses 22 and 23 it tells us for as in adam all die even so in christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order christ the first fruits afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. Can you see there's a perfect order in all of this? It's not going to be chaos. How many of you know God is the God of order? Amen. It's not going to be some weird thing. There's going, to be, there's going to be stages in all of this. Christ, the first fruits. Well, we already saw them in Matthew chapter 27. We just mentioned it, how that when Jesus was resurrected, when he was raised from the dead, a whole group of other people were raised from the dead at the same time, and they appeared unto many. Is it possible? that the same thing is going to happen at the rapture of the church, that the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected first. Yeah. Amen. They're going to be resurrected. It didn't say they're going to be raptured first. They're going to be resurrected first. So when my dad would show up, for instance, I, I don't think, you know, when my dad get, gets resurrected at that time, I can guarantee you this. He's not just going to stay at that graveside. Waiting for people to visit him. Amen. I mean, he's going to go where he believes his people are going to be. As a matter of fact, my, my son Javen, he had a dream about that just a few months ago. You know, Javen told us he had a dream and he woke up with that dream. And in this dream, he, he was teaching just what he would normally on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. He would teach. He was busy teaching the youth group. And all of a sudden, his opa, my dad, walked in. And he said, hi, hi Javen, the graves are open. Wow. Praise the Lord. And that's it. Just like my, my dad would do it. That's it. That's all you have to say. Right? Because that says enough. <laughs> so could it be that way that... Uh, when this thing is going to happen, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's an order, right? They're going to rise first. They're going to rise first. They're going to be resurrected first. So I would say there's going to be millions of people around the world who are going to be resurrected first. I don't know about you, but I think there's going to have a stir around the world. Don't you think so? And I don't mean, you know, just any old boy that we don't know. I mean, that would include the Apostle Paul. I don't think he's going to be hanging around 
you know, the gravesite either. He's going to go, I, I think he's going to come to some churches and just kick a hole in the pulpit. <laughs> so smarten up, everyone. <laughs> Don't you think so? It'd be the Apostle John would be there. There's going to be, Martin Luther will be there. Brother Hagen will be there. Or there's going to be a pile of people who are going to be resurrected at that time. First, they're not going to be raptured. For, it didn't say that at all. They're going to be resurrected first. All right. Well, let's move on. And that will make more sense then if we, if we move on to the next slide where you can read what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse uh, 13 through 18, I've underlined a few words that I believe are very helpful to know. First of all, it says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Ignorant. It seems to me that when Paul says, don't be ignorant, we have sent people to cemeteries. I mean seminaries. To become ignorant of the very thing he told us not to be ignorant of. I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual things. You know what the church is ignorant of? Spiritual things. Spiritual things. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this thing. You know what? Nobody knows anything about this, it seems. Just a few, just a handful of people that seem to have clued in about the end times. That's why I believe it's important to know what's going to happen. Because when you know what's going to happen, not only are you prepared for it, but it will remove every bit of fear. Amen. Woo. <laughs> but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. The word asleep just is a word for those who have fallen asleep or those who have died during the church age. During the church age, the one that we're in. That you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, see, everything is based on this template. The resurrection of Jesus if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep who have died in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Oh, that's Jesus talking, yeah. right? He's using Paul to bring this message across. But it's, this is a message from Jesus through Paul to you. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, not his own opinion or what he thinks is going to happen, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means to precede, to go before them which are asleep. And I thought, well, what's the big deal? Are we in a competition? <laughs> right? They, you know, we're not going to go first. Is that a big deal? Well, it just gives the order in which... Things are going to happen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with, with what? With, with a shout. That's going to be heard around the church world. He's going to come down from heaven with a shout. Why do you think he's shouting? Well, he's picking up his bride. And he is excited about that. Because they're engaged, but we're moving on. To the next place. <laughs> Amen. If he's going to come down from heaven with a shout. He's not like, like the guy who's going to come with his car and honk, honk. <laughs> no. He's going to come down with a shout because he is excited about the bride that he is going to meet. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've heard many, many, many people talk about end times. And my goodness, if you hear them talk about all the doom and all the gloom, you know, it makes me wonder. If, if that were the case, and if I were Jesus, I would go over to the Father, nudge the Father and say, you know, Lord, could we maybe, God, could we maybe postpone the wedding? I don't want to be married down there with that old hag, you know, <laughs> who's hiding in a cave with a can of beans. That's what it sounds like to many people. But that's, that's not the picture that Jesus painted for the church when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Amen. Doesn't sound like that at all. We are the overcomers. 
Did you know that? We are stronger than sin because you've been made a new creation. Stronger than the devil. Stronger than the Antichrist. So don't get into fear. Amen. Don't get into fear based on all the things that you see. If you have to shut off all your devices and just get into the word for a little while. Because it will bring strength to you. It will bring grace to you. You know, you're, you're going to look for the devil. Where is he? I want to beat him up. And then you can't find him. Because <laughs> he's running from you as in stark terror. The Bible tells us that as well. All right. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Don't you think that this is going to be some low-key event? No. Jesus is shouting the voice of an archangel, God playing the trumpet. Oh, that's a big deal. Isn't it? Last time he played his trumpet, you know, People ask him, please don't let him play Moses. Because <laughs> they were afraid of it. Not in our day and age because we've moved on to new creatures. Right? We're looking forward to the trumpet sound. Amen. All right. And the dead in Christ shall rise, be resurrected first. Moving on to the next thing. We, are, we have now witnessed that the dead in Christ have moved on. That's kind of a trigger point. Sometimes the word first is a trigger point for what's going to happen next, right? Some things can't happen until something else happens first. So this has to happen first. Well, once that's done, we can move on. The word then would signify there's a change in time. It could be a nanosecond later, but it could also be a longer period of time. We don't know. How many of you know Jesus was on the earth after he was resurrected for 40 days? Right? Before he went into heaven. And he appeared unto people over that 40-day period before he, was, he ascended. So, see, all, that whole thing about us being gone in the twinkling of an eye, that's not true. The word twinkling of an eye is associated with the change. The change qualifies you for the rapture. Because you can't go into the rapture with his flesh, bone, and blood body. You're going to have to experience a change. The change which qualifies you for the rapture is going to be done in the twinkling of an eye. But you're not going to be out of here in the twinkling of an eye. It didn't say that. We're going to be resurrected or the people who are in heaven are going to be resurrected first. The next stage is then we which are alive because we have now seen and witnessed all these people who have been resurrected, been raised from the dead. That'd be kind of a clue <laughs> for us to get ready. Right? Isn't that right? If you can't say amen. If you can't, if you can't say amen, say oh me. <laughs> All right. Then, whoa, can you back up for me? Then we which are alive and remain shall be, notice this, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You know what's going to happen? For a period of time, I don't know how long that period is, the entire church, the entire church comprised of those who have been resurrected, the ones who have come down from heaven and have picked up their resurrection bodies, and we which are alive, who have now been changed in the twinkling of an eye, we all now have these resurrection bodies, heavenly bodies. We're all on the earth for a small, for, I don't want to say small, for a period of time. I don't know how long the period of time is. And then simultaneously... The entire church is going to be moved into heaven, removed from the earth into heaven. Verse 18, therefore, he says, comfort one another with these words. Because there's a lot of comfort in it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Amen. There's no death to be afraid of. There's no Antichrist to be afraid of. There's no globalist agenda <laughs> to be afraid of. Amen. When we're gone, then they can have their little reset. But not until then. <laughs> 
Because as long as we are here on the earth, the church is here, we're the ones in authority. Amen. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he did not come up, you know, on banging on the, on, the, on the grave wall. You know, I've been resurrected from the dead, but, you know, please, can you get me out of here? I'm stuck. No, no. He just moved out of there. Amen. He didn't come out like one preacher said, you know, with two front teeth missing and his right leg dragging behind him. Said, you know, a bit resurrected. I had a big, big power with it or I had a big, you know, fight with the, with the, with the, with the devil. I did win, but, you know, I, you know, I got a few things that I'm dealing with right now. Can you give me a little push to go back to heaven? No, no, no. No. I mean, when he was raised from the dead, he said all authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. And he didn't keep that authority for himself. He gave it to you and me when he said, Therefore, you go, and in my name you shall cast out devils. In my name you shall speak with new tongues. In my name, if you pick up any deadly things, not going to hurt you. Ooh, that's exciting. In my name... They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So it's the church that's in charge. Amen. So take your place. Right? Take your place next, on, next to God on the right hand of God the Father. Where you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Where you have a voice. Does that make sense? How much time do we have? I really... All day, yeah, no, yeah, I have to talk to the ones that want me to quit. <laughs> Till 11.30, or you want to be out of here by 11.30? Okay, okay, then we're going to finish off with this last bit here. Uh, so this is the resurrection process. We just talked about that. Actually, the resurrection began with Jesus, who is the first fruits. He's the prototype, the template of our resurrection. The Lord will come with a shout. The dead in Christ are resurrected, not raptured first. We which are alive and remain will be changed. That's, you can read that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 54. And then the entire church will be on earth for a period of time before we get moved, removed, caught up into heaven. That's exciting, isn't it? Does it help you? Amen. Does it give you a bigger picture? Amen. Does that not cause you to look at the things of this world? It's okay, you know. Let them do whatever they want to do. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. Amen. And that's not the end of the story either. We're only going to be in heaven for a little while, right? Because we're meant to rule and reign on this earth, right? So after seven years, we're going to come back to this earth when Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. Amen. That's an awesome story. If, if you read the back of the book, even where John said, And I saw heaven open, and I saw him who sat on a white horse, and his name is faithful and true, and his vesture was dipped in blood, and he is called the Word of God. And behind him, I saw those riding on white horses, and their vesture was made white as snow. They're, it was made out of linen, and it is because it's the righteousness of the saints. Praise the Lord. I take that as a hint. <laughs> Amen. Let's all stand up. Praise the Lord.